As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to Carrie Lutz's Financial Survival Network, where you get valuable information you just can't find anywhere else. To thrive in today's trying times, you need the Financial Survival Network, now more than ever. Go to FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com and get your free newsletter and gift. Financial Survival Network, now more than ever. And welcome. You are listening to watching the Financial Survival Network. I'm Kerry Lutz. Well, many of you out there have said, how come you only have real estate bulls on the show? And uh, I kind of agree with that, although uh, I don't think all of them are by any stretch. But you wanted a bear, you got a bear. Sam Liebman is with us. Sam, you're author of Harvard Can't Teach What You Learned from the Streets, New York Times bestseller, in New York-based real estate professional with uh, over three decades of experience. You run a fund. So this topic obviously is near and dear to your heart. So how bad, how bad is bad and how bad can it get? Well, since we last talked, a lot of things have changed. I mean, interest rates now have gone, you know, really through the roof. And the real problem is the technology regarding the effects on office buildings and retail. You don't have to live in a city to do business in a city anymore. And the occupancy rate, for instance, in Manhattan, just reached a new high, 40%. 40% of all the occupancy, excuse me, of all the office buildings are only 40% occupied. Nationwide is 42%. And the ramifications of that are, are terrible for the valuation of real estate. In fact, they're predicting a half a trillion dollar devaluation of office buildings over the next three to four years. Wow. And this is a real problem. And, um, you know, office buildings, office building owners have been beaten up over the pandemic, but tenants were not paying rent. They had to uh, actually forgive rent. Tenant brokers were calling renegotiating their leases downward. So the valuation 
is going to be, in my humble opinion, soon the value of the building will be lower than the mortgage. And then it's hello bank, bye-bye building. Yeah, and uh, we've seen that with, uh, with the foreclosure crisis uh, when savvy uh, borrowers see that they're underwater in a home, they walk away, what you call strategic default. And that's a place where that's an instance where you're living in this home, but it's no longer economically viable. So you just walk away and you go rent. With commercial, you're dealing with professional owners who are constantly making economic calculations. So a commercial real estate owner is going to walk away way faster than a residential homeowner, right? Well, yes, but the real problem is on a lot of office building loans, the owner is personally liable on that loan. Whereas in residential multifamily, it's usually non-recourse, which means the owner is not personally liable. Now, in office buildings, where I see, I don't see stabilized occupancy in the future ever going over more than 65% occupied. That's my, that's my opinion based on what I'm seeing. Now, what happens, two instances that are coming up. Number one, someone bought an office building four years ago with a five-year mortgage. Their mortgage is now up. Well, how are you going to get a mortgage on a 40% on a occupied building? And even if you do, the rates went from 3.5% to now over 5%. So during the pandemic, office building owners were not collecting rent, had to forgive a lot of rent because if they try to collect it, they put the tenant completely out of business and empty units don't make you, you know, money. So they renegotiated their rents downward, which decreased the value of the building. But here's the real problem. So you have a law firm. They have 30,000 square feet and workers have not been in the office in a year. And their lease is up or their option is ready to be uh, exercised. They call the owner and say, we don't need 30,000 square feet. We only need 15,000 square feet. And we're not going to pay $80 a foot. We're only going to pay $60 a foot because the building next door is offering that and plus much more. So the devaluation of that, but it doesn't end there. The owner who's already been beaten up has now got a retrofit the 30000 to the old tenant for 15000 Maybe the bathroom's on the wrong side, the, this is on the wrong side. And now he has raw a new 15000 square foot of raw space that he's got to put hundreds of thousands of dollars to re-retrofit for a potential new tenant. That, that could cost a lot of money, the, the new tenant, and he's going to have downtime. It could be six months till you get a new tenant, got to pay a substantial uh, uh, broker's fee. You have loss of rent. You're going to have to give the new tenant a reduced rent, TI, tenant improvement money. That's one tenant while your valuation has gone down. And you got stores on the bottom. Well, the stores who were paying in Manhattan $200 uh, a foot rent where every block now is vacant, he's going to say, I can't pay that. I, there's no people in the building. I have no traffic. So this is the problem that I see that's going to lead to an avalanche of foreclosures. I've seen it before in early 1990s and again in 2008. But the technology, the idea of people going back to work, I just don't see it. And um, 
I think it was a, Stephen Roth from, I think it's Vernado, came up with a very interesting point. He said that if there's a recession, that might force people, the owners to, to of the businesses, force the people to go back into the office or you lose your job because there will be no job, you know, a lot of, you know, more of, uh, unemployed people. We've gotten used to over the last three and a half years of working at home. It's habitual, you know. So, you know, Marvin uh, Hagler, the great boxer, once said, it's very hard to get out of the out of bed at four in the morning and get out of silk uh, pajamas and change and train. <laughs> and people are in the habit of now getting out of bed and going to work. And I just don't see it changing. Now, you mentioned residential, mm-hmm. There's a major shortage of residential real estate across the country. And rents are just keep going up. But operating expenses are also going up. My, I have over 2,000 units in Texas. My insurance in Texas went up 65%. Wow. 65%. Why? Because last year they had that big storm that because of the grid. Insurance companies were paying a fortune. There's climate change. More, more. Um, the idea in Texas is don't do your roof until there's another hailstorm. And it's this bombardment. We can't get people to fill the work orders. People don't want to work. And if they do, they want a fortune. And my electric doubled. The cost of electricity because of the war in Ukraine. So there's so many variables. And you know, I'm usually optimistic. And if there's any optimism for this, it's going to be that when things collapse, there will be tremendous opportunities to purchase these uh, properties at bargain basement prices. Although residential will keep going up and up and up, but the owner is going to make less because even with the increases, you're going to have more operating expenses. And remember something, there's only so much you can pass through to the tenant. The tenant has their own problems with insurance going up, gas going up, food. And um, that's why right now in Texas, we have a big homeless problem that's expanding. Wow. So things are really looking uh, quite bleak here, aren't they? And uh... unfortunately, the world is upside down. And yes, and and we're going to have to, my, me personally, I'm going to have to weather the storm. I'm lucky that I have a very low leverage, but I'm going to have to weather the storm, make changes, defer maintenance, uh, do whatever I can to survive. And this is the first month, I, I tell it like it is, where we didn't take any distributions. Wow, that's that hurts on a number of levels because uh, distributions are what you live for. So uh, these commercial properties that are basically useless, uh, some of them can be repurposed to some extent, but a lot of them uh, can't be, right? Well, that's a very good question. And the problem is what people, a lot of people don't understand is you can't just repurpose an office building. I mean, you might have somebody on the 20th floor tenant, another one on the 18th floor, another one on the eighth floor, another one on the 16th floor. So how do you do renovation? Number two, zoning. They're not going to just let you build or train or, or re- retrofit what you what you want. They're not going to let you do that. And also, when you uh, retro, re-retrofit or change to residential office building, you lose space. You lose rentable square feet footage because more bathrooms are needed. It's a different floor plan. So you have to do a real big analysis of, of what's going to happen. In my opinion, what's going to happen is you're going to have smaller tenants, smaller spaces. You'll have more, maybe more tenants, but there'll be smaller spaces. 
And but there's going to be vacancy. And, you know, in an office building or any building, you make your money with the last 10 to 20 percent of uh, of the tenants. The rest pay your bills and mortgage. Right. So in Manhattan in particular, like downtown, you had a lot of commercial buildings that got repurposed. But mm-hmm. many of them were older, the newer mm-hmm. uh, buildings that have much larger uh, floors. Right. And a lot of internal space, it's a lot harder to repurpose them, even if you're able to get through the zoning and the uh, mixed use tenants, uh, you'll wind up with a mixed use building. So mm-hmm. all of this bodes poorly. Well, also remember that the uh, repurposed office buildings were condos, very expensive condos. So you were getting so much money for the condos five years ago that it paid no matter what the cost to, to change it to residential. It's not the case anymore. And um, look, we need more affordable housing. And you also have a political situation in New York and across the country that is basically, we need more affordable, we need more affordable housing, but not here. They just killed, okay, in New York, a uh, developer wanted to put up 900 units in Harlem, half of them affordable, and they squashed it. Was it enough? Wasn't enough? Wasn't it enough? They wanted like the whole building uh, affordable. You can't afford these, the, the, no matter what side you're on, okay? You got to have a policy that works. And none of them understand the economics of developing a building. You think I'm going to sign a $40 million construction loan personally, personally liable for it, to build a building where my operating expenses are going up out of control? And they want to cap how much money I'm going to make on my rent or sales. You know, a week ago, 421A, which is one of the most popular uh, tax abatement uh, uh, programs that was around for 40 years or so, they just got rid of it. Who's going to build a new building when you don't get tax abatement? But they'd rather get nothing and have the developer give tax abatement, and they don't understand it. They think that, that, that the city is writing them a check. The city isn't writing them a check. The city is making an investment of you know, lower taxes now for more taxes in the future. But it seems that it's on deaf ears. Wow. So uh, hey, you got a new mayor in New York City. Uh, he seems to be just almost as big a joker as the guy that came before him. Yeah, I was told not to talk about that, <laughs> stay away from politics. But yes, the problem is that let's look at the facts. Crime is horrible. You know, they wanted you, the former mayor de Blasio, not a big fan. He wanted everybody to take public transportation. Well, you got to make public tra- uh, transportation safe. OK, public transportation, violent crime is up 50 percent over last year. People are afraid to take the subway. Uh, a week or two ago, I went into a, into the city for an hour meeting. So help me God, took me two hours each way by, by Uber. We couldn't get anywhere. And, you know, there's just no leadership. You know, show me a program that works. You know, I came up with, I think, a very good solution for affordable housing, and it, it's on, received on deaf ears. You know, in the outer boroughs, you're going to have a lot of vacant big box stores, which they have now. City's not getting any money. No real estate taxes, right? Didn't ram. Why not rezone that to four-story affordable housing? The city would get 
three times the, the taxes that they would have gotten before. You're creating jobs. And guess what? You don't have to worry about anyone's view or traffic. You know, if there was a big box store there before, they weren't worried about traffic problems, right? They had a big parking lot. Why won't they do it? Why? What The city owns more property. Why won't the city use that property to develop affordable housing? So they all cry, they cry, they cry, but there's no solutions. No solutions. And uh, we deal in solutions, so they're not going to solve the problem or at least attempt to until they absolutely have to, right? Don't just survive. Thrive, the Financial Survival Network. Fury Gold Mines is a Canada-focused exploration and development company committed to aggressively growing its scalable, high-grade gold assets with major drill campaigns planned across its 3.5 million ounce portfolio. Fury is led by a management team of proven explorers and developers with a track record of success in advancing and financing project development. Fury Gold Mines is well-positioned to create value for investors with low-risk development growth and the potential for a new major discovery. Fury Gold Mines trades on the TSX and NYSE American under the ticker F-U-R-Y. To learn more, go to furygoldmines.com. That's furygoldmines.com. This is the Financial Survival Network, the information you need to thrive now more than ever. My personal opinion, and I, I'm a realist, and I tell it like it is, I might not always be right, but I think things have to collapse and restart again, especially with office buildings and retail. I've done it before. I did it in uh, two, the early 1990s and, and two, 2008 when I bought a lot of buildings at half price. And if you if things do collapse, the banks have these foreclosures, the banks don't want them. So there's going to be an opportunity to buy these office buildings, maybe at half. And maybe instead of, you know, renting them for $80 a foot, maybe we rent them at $60 a foot, make it more affordable for the tenants, and I could still get a good return because I'm only paying half price. So that would be something that I see. But you got to make the city safe. you got to make the train safe. And I think I mentioned this last time. Manhattan has an invisible sign. New York in general has an invisible sign that says 1% is real estate people, get out. You are not wanted here. Whereas Texas and Florida has a, a invisible sign, welcome. All one percent is welcome. All real estate people, and you don't have to pay taxes. Well, this is our, com our competition, and that's why all the all people are migrating to to Florida and Texas, and the rents there are out of control. So, unless there's a change in policy and leadership, I think New York City, unfortunately, which I love, is circling the drain. Well, actually, the signs uh, up before in front of uh, Texas and Florida aren't really invisible. They're like <laughs> screaming from the rooftops. Yeah. And it's been a very effective campaign. I mean, I moved here to Florida 10 years ago and never looked back. And I mean, I paid taxes to New York State for seven, eight years uh, during that time and finally made my last tax payment and goodbye. You know, I get nothing for that money. And really, that's you pay the highest taxes in the nation in places like New York, New Jersey, California, all these places. And what do you get for it? You get homelessness, you get filth, you get poor policy, socialism, and uh, failure and collapse. I mean, New York, California, Illinois, Connecticut, New Jersey, arguably Maryland, uh, they're failed states. We also have a president that I'm sorry to say, you know, 
just is not a leader. And we have the war in the Ukraine, and uh, there are so many variables now. It, it's 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 an issue. So you know, doesn't matter what party you like. We need a party that is for the people, not just to get votes. And I just don't I don't see that coming. You know, I, I just don't. We got a kleptocracy here, Sam. Everybody's lining their own pockets. I mean, just just today, and like you said, nothing to do with parties. It's nothing to do with politics either. Right. You get down to it. It deals with governance. Governance is supposed to be above politics, but it's fallen victim to politics. Sound governance. Uh, remember when Chicago used to be the city that works? Yeah. Well, you can't get, you know, especially with the younger people, there's a different definition of work ethic that I grew up with, or I'm sure you grew up with. And, um, you know, it, it, there are so many changes. There's, there's the, the changes in millennials, uh, Generation X, Y, and I don't know what we're up to now, all mixing in the same pot, all with different backgrounds, different wants and desires, not understanding each other. And their their values and their changes, there's a lot of positives with them, don't get me wrong. But even the way they order from restaurants, I see what my son does. When's the last time we were in a mall? Me? Well, it's a little different here in Florida, but, uh, you know, a lot of people never even step foot in the mall anymore. And I don't go anywhere near as much, even going to a supermarket, you know, I needed a case of tissues. So I just bought them from Amazon because I just didn't feel like schlepping them back from the supermarket or from Walmart or whatever. Yeah. And hey, so one thing, though, I think perhaps the uh, work from home thing, even though I'm a big proponent of it, especially for young parents, because it enables you to really spend more time with your children mm -hmm. and spread out your work time so that when your kids need you, your family needs you, you're there. But even that, look, Elon Musk has soured on it. He ordered everybody back and he said, uh, you know, if you want to work from home, go find a job with another company and you can pretend right. to work there. So uh, well, Goldman Sachs yeah. a month ago said, I, we're going to have everyone back to work. Well, basically, go find a job, too. And the, uh, the workers said, you know what? Screw you. And now Goldman Sachs, I believe, is offering unlimited vacation. You know, I think working from home is going to become an amenity. And I think people will be in the office two to three days a week. But that all goes into that 65% percentage of occupancy I'm talking about. But if you can get a job at J.P. Morgan and they say you only have to be in two, three days a week, or you can go to a Goldman, you got to be in every day. I think people are trading off lifestyle for against more money. I remember when I was a young accountant getting recruited from college, uh, I got an offer from Price Waterhouse, but they wanted us to work four nights a week and Saturday during tax season. So instead, I picked Iser and Lubin. It was only two days a week and Saturdays. I picked Iser and Lubin because I wanted a life. And, you know, you also have when you work for Goldman or any of these top firms, these kids that are being hired, they're working 80 hours a week. I know. And they want them in the office. Yeah. And uh, values change. Things change. I, I know my children, I've got three millennials, all very good work ethic, hard, mm -hmm. hard workers. Uh, but now they go into the office two, 
three times a week at the most, oh. not necessarily for a full day. And uh, in fact, uh, my uh, younger daughter, millennial, uh, works for a large uh, social media company. She's on permanent remote status and she's never gone back and her husband is. So what they do, they moved out to Colorado so they could ski more. <laughs> well, you know, there is a point. I believe people are more productive working at home. Um, you know, again, I, I don't know about Florida or even Texas, but you cannot get into the city between the train delays, between other things. It's just horrible. And then you got to worry about, you know, about being assaulted. So I don't see it. I hope I'm wrong. Um, I just don't see it. I've been through it before, uh, Carrie, in the 90s when there was so many buildings in foreclosure at half price. I saw it again in 2008. And yes, I took complete advantage of it. And I think there's going to be opportunities for others that are educated in the fundamentals and a tremendous opportunity for, for young people to start a real estate business when these prices come down. That's what I did twice. And um, that's what I encourage young people to do. Learn the fundamentals, master them so that you're in a position to take over, to take advantage of the opportunities that I think are going to occur. Hey, I just want to say I'm really enjoying speaking with you. Oh, you I want to go back to uh, one thing you mentioned with residential. We've had massive movements. I mean, I bought a house in Florida. Basically, it's worth probably 60% 60, 60 more than I paid for it at a minimum. Right. Um, can that trend continue unabated, even in the face of higher rates? Well, I read somewhere recently where Florida now wants to cap the amount you can increase rents to 15%. This just came out. Um, Florida, the problem with Florida that I see is there's no income tax. And as well, that's Florida- a great thing. That's no problem to me. <laughs> well, but understand that if Florida continues to grow, they're going to need a lot of infrastructure, which is very expensive. If they don't have an income tax, where's the money going to come to build all of this? So they can increase real estate taxes tremendously. Um, no, I think Florida is there to stay. You know, we used to say about Florida appreciation, not in our lifetime. I think Florida has stabilized into a great place to live, invest, but they're going to need more infrastructure. And, um, you know, people oh. are moving there in droves. Uh, no question. So do I think things will keep going up? Yes, I do. Every major highway in the state, there's there's really only three, but there's a couple of others. The Turnpike, 95, 75, constantly being widened. I mean, eventually, I, th I think we're going to see a hundred lane uh, highway in your future. It's, it's amazing. Right now, the state has run last year a $20 billion surplus. So with inflation, though, a lot of money is going to go to increasing government worker pay, and the cost of the infrastructure becomes prohibitive as well. So we definitely have problems. But in terms of residential real estate, particularly single-family homes across the country, um, what's your take on it? I think it's going to keep going up until the supply outperforms the demand. But right now, I was told thirty-year mortgage is six percent. So you know. Now, remember something, the price you pay for a house is a permanent cost, can't change that. The interest rate is a temporary cost. 
you could always change that. So the question is, you know, do you pay the high price and um, then refinance at a lower rate when things stabilize? You know, that that's a question. But I do see Florida, Texas, and other states that offer, you know, these amenities actually keep going. We have a shortage of rental housing across the nation. So what reason would I have to believe that the prices are going to stop? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, uh, you know, I don't mean to be a perma bull on real estate. I don't believe that real estate always goes up for sure. And there's so many markets, uh, you know, Detroit uh, real estate. Uh, I remember a few years ago, the anomaly that if a piece of property had a house on it, it sold for less than raw land. So right. every market's local, but like you say, shortage of rental real estate and even in the face of higher interest rates. Look, uh, you and I grew up in a time, Sam, when interest rates were near mortgage rates were 8%. I think that was my first. Absolutely. My first adjustment. building, my first building in, I uh, purchased in September 23rd, 1993, 110, 112, same Ox place. Only paid 575 for the building. The building prior was over $3 million, but the interest rate was 9.75%. And that's the best time to buy real estate because the price I paid can't change. But the 9% is now was 3% because I refinanced years ago. All but, right. You're not helping me here, Sam. All my <laughs> listeners want a, a bear on real estate and you're only like half a bear. Commercial, yeah, but residential, no. And maybe that's the best indication that you're, you're putting it on the line. You're uh, telling it like it is. Telling it as I is, as I see it, i um, been doing this for 35, 40 years. I've never seen a situation where there is a perfect storm all at once, the same variables. We had a virus. We have a war. We have that. Because of that, we have supply shortages where materials are going up. We have a political environment that's not pro real estate and other factors, higher interest rates. So there, look, in good times and bad times, think about real estate is you could always do well. And I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities for a lot of people who are knowledgeable to do well. Well, I always tell you out there, um, whether there's a recession or a depression, you can decide whether or not you're going to participate in it. Mm -hmm. And in every uh, crisis, there's always winners and losers. Absolutely. You decide whether you, which one you're going to be. Hey, Sam, want to find out more about you, connect with you on the web, buy your book. How, how do you do that? Okay, well, my book, COVID Can't Teach What You Learn From the Streets, which I'm very proud to say became a Wall Street Journal bestseller. Um, you can buy that on Amazon. And my website is samliebin.com, which we are constantly improving to teach people. I'm all about teaching people now the right way to learn, which is mastering the fundamentals of real estate that you can build upon. That's what I'm about. Could could not uh, agree with you more. Hey. Appreciate you coming on, Sam. If you've got a question for Sam, shoot me an email, kl at kerrylutz.com. We'll get you an answer. And uh, make sure you go over to the site, click the link, take you right to Sam's site or the book. And uh, it's financialsurvivalnetwork.com. I just ask when you go over there, please uh, sign up for a free newsletter. Sam, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, Kerry. It is always a pleasure talking to you. 
Thanks for listening to Carrie Lutz's Financial Survival Network, your solution to today's trying times. For the latest, go to FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com. Financial Survival Network, now more than ever. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.